My name is Steve Westgarth, and this is The Engineering Leader. Today on The Engineering Leader, I'm joined by Rena Dial. Rena is an executive mentor, team coach, and leadership accelerator with the Collaborators UK, where she focuses on helping leaders to unleash their superpowers in order to make a real-life difference while refining their leadership legacy through a science-based approach. Rena, thank you so much for joining The Engineering Leader today. So, Rena, you're not an engineer, and I guess that um, that might make you an unusual guest for The Engineering Leader, but you do know an awful lot about leadership, and you've spent an awful long time working with organisations, helping leaders to accelerate and to be better at what they do. So, I mean, maybe start by telling us a little bit about you and how you got where you are today. Thank you, Steve. I shall do that. In fact, I think you mentioned to me that I might be the first on this podcast who's not an engineer, and I am honored. And I guess congratulations for bringing diversity into your podcast. I'm saying that with a massive grin on my face right about now. So I'm from India. I grew up in a small town in India called Jamshedpur, which is the home of the Tatas. And we know this name because this is an industrialist which owns companies such as Tata Consultancy Services, Jaguar, Chorus, Iron and Steel Company, and many, many more. Uh, And I started off my career in India after completing my business management with a specialization in HR. And for the first 12 years, I worked with India across sectors, let me see, hospitality, technology, insurance. And then I moved to UK with Aviva Insurance in 2005. And I worked here with that company for seven years before I decided to transition into becoming an entrepreneur. And what was common in my role in corporate HR was leading and facilitating HR and culture transformation. Uh, or I think probably more specifically enabling leaders to facilitate business transformation. So expansion, downsizing, joint ventures, you name it. But the other part of my role was also about leadership development. And I was responsible for training high potentials identified to be on the succession pipeline. So it was transformation of business, transformation of people is what I dealt with in my corporate career. So then it was no surprise, you know, when I started training myself to become a coach, when I decided to become an entrepreneur, I set up a boutique company which could offer a blend of coaching, mentoring, training to leaders, teams, organizations, Uh, who I guess are keen to capitalize what I call career and business inflection points. Uh, So that's what's got me from India to UK and from corporate background to entrepreneurship. And I'm loving it. Amazing. And I guess, you know, one of the things that I always find surprising when talking to engineers and working with engineering teams is, is a lot of people who are in those roles don't actually recognize that they are actually leaders even if even if they aren't necessarily you're managing people, um, you know they're still providing technical leadership or you know kind of helping others by coaching or mentoring or doing all of those other things that kind of comes with leadership. Um, so, in your view, um, who are the leaders within an organisation? I love it, and I'm going to do a bit of a backdrop and then answer another question that you'd sent to me as well. I'll combine them together to respond to your question. So, um, so I'm sure your listeners would agree that uh, with the advent of what we call the digital or technology era, we are moving very close to what I think is the tipping point of exiting the industrial era, which means who is a leader changes. 
in the industrial area, I guess people who had role titles were considered leaders, you know, the know-it-all, the decision makers, and the rest were followers. And we kind of fell in line with that model. But when you fast forward to today's time, and we know now that those who have expertise, no matter where they sit in the organization, they have the power to disrupt the landscape and they become leaders. So that's one angle I want to put forward to people because a leader could be sitting anywhere. It isn't those with role titles. Now, I will also say it's grand. Uh, I will say that the scenario hasn't fully changed, and folks with role titles, you know, still rule the roost in many companies. But the definition of leadership is changing. It is those who have game-changing ideas. It is those who have the imagination, who catch the imagination of the masses. Is those who empower others and learn others how to drive and deliver innovative solutions whether it's to their client base, whether it's to the community or the people who have, will have the real power to lead. And that could be anyone in an organization. In fact, you know, you'd ask me a question, who's a leader? And I think everyone is a leader. It is no longer title driven. You know, whether now, now whether employees want to act as leaders or not is their choice. They certainly have the opportunity at this moment of time. Uh, in fact, many would say that one of the biggest reasons why we're seeing the boom of entrepreneurship is because individuals have woken up to this fact and many of them were not even title holders and they started a business and become founders, right? Now, from a company viewpoint, uh, when organizations and leaders and companies are thinking about this, I would think that they would want everyone to have the potential to be leaders in their organization, whether they are having leadership in their field, in their job, in their expertise. But that's really important that they have the capability of making decisions and being independent and being able to engage their stakeholders. Because what it does for people who have the so-called title of leadership right now, it frees up their management time. And so they can start operating at a higher level and start doing what I call, which is the need of the hour, is start operating like visionaries. Now, again, whether current leaders want to let go of their kingdom and traditional power roles is their choice. But when they do that, I think there's an opportunity to redefine leadership excellence so they can empower teams to outperform. So they have the time and capacity to be more innovative, lead change and be disruptive leaders in a good way by leveraging the best version of themselves and that of employees. Companies who are clever will actually create these environments where they can allow everyone to thrive and grow as leaders. If they don't, then I think companies are missing a trick. And we are also seeing, uh, we're already seeing some evidence of that. So we're seeing smart talent exiting organization. A few years ago, what is it that they were doing? Talent, good talent were jumping companies. Now they're setting up their own shops because they realize that they're not getting a chance to lead and use their talent, skill, and purpose in traditional setups. So I think the world is changing and therefore leadership and the definition of leadership is changing as well. I think it's interesting that, you know, from my point of view, I think about my own um, you know, my own work and my own organization and what I do. Um, and yes, I'm a leader. You know, I lead a, your teams of people and, and all of those things. But actually, my focus is much more upon outcome. And it's about the outcomes that I need to achieve for my organization. And really what I'm looking to do is to find ways to achieve those outcomes through others. And, you know, ultimately, I'm trying to get your know, other people to understand what I'm trying to achieve, the reasons I'm trying to achieve it, you know, the reasons the organization needs to achieve it in order to be successful and win the market or whatever we might be doing. Um, but it's, it's, it's that real focus on outcomes, I think, that, you know, for me, 
drives leadership into other parts of the organization because you know if, if you understand the outcome and understand what the organization is trying to achieve then suddenly anybody anywhere in the organization can pick up on that and do something to help move the needle towards where you're trying to go to absolutely and 100% and i love that aspect that you're talking about outcomes because when that outcome the outcome okay let me put it this way the outcome in the previous years and today is i would say kind of same only right now we have not just profit we have purpose as well that a lot of organizations are talking about so we know what the outcome is but the how you do it as you have demonstrated in your narrative right now is changing so earlier on it was just about getting uh, to influence your own style other people and so on and so forth but now there's a slight change in the t- tweaking of it i think a leader starts influencing other people like you're doing by beginning to influence themselves at so that they're operating in a, in a different way and that for me is the interesting point to work with leaders where they are becoming far more impactful by leading themselves differently and then they start having this ripple effect that you're talking about with their teams with their businesses uh so so that's that's a really good point i love it you, you can see it as well with the evolution as, as you were talking about as we start to leave the industrial age. You know, if you go back to the early 1900s, you know, in, into the old, you know, uh, scientific based leadership sort of style as you think about sort of factory, the factory driven approach, um, you know, where you effectively you had a very command and control culture where you, you had leads mm-hmm. at the top of the organisation that were telling everybody what to do. You assumed that the person at the top knew the right way to do things. Um, whereas actually, you know, in, in organisations today, you know, we, we need people to be more creative. You know, we, we, there are many, many ways to solve a problem. And actually, you know, this is about finding the right way to solve this, to, to solve the problem and to, and to approach finding the right solution. Um, so, you know, we've very much moved, I guess, over the last 100 years into a much more humanistic, you know, sort of approach in terms of how we how we define leadership and how we how we define people management and all of those things. Do you think that's going to, to change again as we go into this new um, in, into this new era of the digital age? Um, uh, let me tease out the principle that you have uh, very nicely illustrated out there. Uh, uh, we are moving from a telling to an asking where leaders are concerned, uh, which is why a lot of leaders that I, I work with right now are wanting to incorporate what you call the coaching style of leadership, whereby you're not only asking, but you're also really nurturing and empowering other people to be the best version of themselves so that everybody is thinking creatively, everybody is aligned and yet is diverse. So it's a different skill set that is required and that's going to become sharper going forward is my uh, my thinking. And it requires some unlearning. I mean, just as uh, just an example in from my own life, when I moved from 22 years of corporate life and trained myself to become a coach, I had to do a lot of unlearning and relearning because coaching is a very different style. Whereas in the corporate world, you're always there to provide solutions to people, which means it's like it's much more of a telling approach. But asking means you have to allow other people to come to an answer to that question. And even if the answer is bursting inside you, you sometimes have to give them that space because that's where you're giving them a chance to become really creative and own their cognitive diversity and being able to talk about some of those areas and come up with those solutions. So to, so to kind of ask, it's a slightly roundabout way that I'm answering a question. So I think so going forward, what we're going to see is that so-called people who have the roles of managing teams. So we've already said everyone is a leader, but there are some people who are title holders who are managing teams. They will become far more coach-like 
where they will really be asking and nurturing and empowering teams in a very skillful way so that they're almost like navigating but allowing other people to also offer into the direction that they're going towards. So that's the stylistic change that I think is going to happen going forward. There's a phenomenal um, example of that, and it, everyone knows I'm an Apple evangelist, and you know, was a great fan of, of Steve Jobs, and and he um, is is quoted as saying at, at some point, you know, several years ago, um, that we don't employ people so that we can tell them what to do; we employ great people so that they can tell us what to do, and I think that's a really great way of framing some of that conversation. And very well said. And let me also say that uh, it's easier said than done. Uh, and that's the beauty of it is when people really open up to how they can be that kind of a leader because it is not an intellectual exercise. It really has to come from inside out. It can be very powerful. So I completely agree with that wonderful quote that you've shared, Steve. So let me ask you that. What makes a great leader? Oh. Okay, so I guess one definition, if if the, it can be a chapter in itself, but one definition that comes to my mind, which I often use is, uh, a, a person who is leading themselves, their teams and business to the outcomes like you talked about, which is greater prosperity, far more purpose, and is creating a legacy, no matter how small or big the circle of influence might be, but is creating a legacy that generations after them will admire them for and not curse them, which is the case in some places, is what makes a leader which is why we are also seeing a lot of companies right now talking about, oh, we need to do something around ESG and contributing to humanity and so on and so forth. But there are some interesting ingredients for this person to be that kind of a person who's leading themselves, their team, businesses, to what I talked about, prosperity, purpose, and legacy. Uh, One is holistic growth and balance. That's, I think, fundamentally important. In a chaotic world that we live in, The leader needs to be somebody who has a strong core foundation internally, which allows them to flex and be resilient. So that's one aspect. The second thing that makes a great leader is capacity, not just capability. In traditional leadership development, we've always talked about building capabilities, which is what I call the outside world. How do you delegate? How do you solve problems? How do you innovate? You know, all of that stuff we talked about. But a great leader today needs to have the capacity and the bandwidth to be able to manage the chaos and unpredictably around them and be able to lead the teams around them when they're going through crisis. So capacity, not just capability. The third thing I think so what makes a great leader in today's day and time is intentionality. That means they're being more of who they are, which goes to the point of authenticity, but they're doing it with skill and mastery so that it's landing in the right way. And therefore, their intentionality is helping them become the kind of leader who's asking, being coach-like, all the things that we talked about. And last but not the lead, uh, least, I think in today's day and age, my submission would be that what makes a great leader is somebody who is operating from a place of abundance, not scarcity. Because when you are operating from a space of abundance, it starts doing wonderful things inside our brain and also allows us to align ourselves to bigger purposes and get what we call profit with purpose. And in fact, that's the space that I kind of kind of work with. And I'm pretty excited that when leaders want to kind of work in that kind of a sphere and upskill themselves, because then they, when you combine that with their technical and functional expertise, I think you have the formula of visionaries. 
so I'm super excited about that particular opportunity because I truly believe that such leaders could then transform the world. So, so let's try and, and bring that to life a little bit. I think you're, the things you're talking about, I you totally resonate with me in terms of how I think about my own leadership and kind of what I'm doing within my organisation. But, but mm-hmm. let's think about you know, how how some other organisations are successful or not, as the case may be. Um, so, so talk about leaders that maybe we've all heard of. So, if you talk about somebody like Steve Jobs that we mentioned earlier, yeah. now you know Steve was um, you know incredibly successful at, at being able to get people to to really raise the bar and you know, produce some phenomenal work you look at things like the iphone and the ipad and those things you know he, he simply didn't accept mediocrity and pushed people to do the best work of their lives but then people around him have subsequently kind of come out that you know, maybe were, were working for him at the time and said that actually he was an absolute nightmare to work for because you're your best never good enough right how how does that translate into into what you've been talking about in terms of getting the best out of people and, and really kind of driving the organization towards success Fabulous. Uh, I'm going to step into the world of neurobiology for a bit out there, which I'm sure uh, uh, your listeners might find quite interesting. So uh, bear with me, but I'm going to give like 30 seconds of science and then I'm going to answer your question, right? So as, as individuals, we use energy. That's a given. We need energy to do anything when we get up in the morning to make a cup of coffee or make a decision or lead teams or whatever. We need energy. And energy is in a spectrum. I want you to think it's in a spectrum. It's not. But just for a moment, stay with me and it's in a spectrum. And one side of the energy is what I call the anabolic energy, which is where, we, where our body is coursing through chemicals or hormones known as dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, all of that stuff. You and I experience anabolic energy when we're feeling happy, excited, passionate in the flow, uh, calm, peaceful, all of that stuff. That's the that's the chemical that's going through your body and making you therefore far more collaborative, far more uh, kind and compassionate towards other, more creative, more uh, bolder in making decisions. So that's anabolic energy. On the other side of the spectrum is what you call catabolic energy, where the body is breaking down at a molecular level and releasing chemicals that you and I have heard about, which is adrenaline and cortisol. And it gives us that spot of energy to do more, to be more, And to really drive results. But the choices it gives us sometimes, no matter how much we kind of try to regulate it, in the long run, what we're doing is we're either doing a fight, flight or freeze. And sometimes leaders are operating in a space and getting a lot done by being catabolic. So they're brilliant and their brilliance is great. They're using some of their superpowers, but because they might not be navigating every aspect of being a leader, they turn out to be a nightmare to work with because they're often operating from the space of catabolic energy, which is when you experience anger, irritation, being stressed, not having patience and all of that stuff, which we've heard about Steve Jobs as well in some of the stories, apparently. I don't know. I've never worked with him, but that's what you hear. So therefore, what we are really talking about is that for leaders to be creative as brilliant as Steve Jobs and yet be a leader that other people want to truly work with and kind of learn and grow themselves as individuals and leaders, you need somebody who has the drive and passion but knows how to operate out of the anabolic space. So that's a bit of science to explain about why there are some leaders who are driving. I do something known as seven lenses of leadership, and that's called a level two leadership whereby you get a lot of done, 
But in the background and the corridors, people are saying, ooh, the person's creative and so brilliant, but very tough to work with. So that's one of the things that we help leaders kind of understand that what's the impact they're having and can they still be brilliant and yet be someone who in the corridors will be talked about and say, wow, what a great person that person is. I feel so empowered working with the individual. And so so that's that's a little bit to kind of just tease out that aspect, uh, Steve. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it absolutely does. But I mean, it's, it's it's interesting because if you kind of think about you know, some of the world's largest companies today, so Apple being one of them, you think of Amazon with Jeff Bezos, you think of your know, Tesla and Elon Musk, and you know, maybe Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. You know, you would argue that actually, you know, the leaders of those huge organisations are all operating in, in 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 that level where you know they aren't necessarily you know winning friends in terms of you know, being great people to work with. But they are certainly driving amazing outcomes in yeah. terms of what their organizations are achieving. So, you know, have you got examples or can you think of examples where people have actually, you know, almost kind of flipped the needle, you know, to 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 operate at that different level of leadership, still being brilliant, but actually, you know, um, you're driving that culture of you know where, where people really want to work with them and, and really inspire them. Sure, I can actually, and I, I'm going to lean on to uh, something that I mentioned at the start of this podcast and the company that I mentioned, which is the Tatas. Uh, now, uh, the, the difference, I think, so that happens between companies like Tatas as well as those which you've, which you've just mentioned right now is in the short run, you might be very successful. You might get the prosperity, but we don't know what the long-term legacy of these companies are going to be. Already we know in the press and in the media, when you talk about some of the companies you mentioned, it doesn't necessarily have glowing uh, results and it doesn't have everybody saying, wow, what an amazing company and they're leaving a legacy that generations are going to be happy about. Yeah, great, they're coming up with innovative solutions, but the legacy is a different topic. Now, the Tartars, for that matter, if I was to use their example, is a company that started off 150 years ago. And what their style was, and I've grown up in that hometown, uh, the industrial town of the Tatars, and so it's probably there in my blood as well. That's, an, uh, in fact, the Tatars often call themselves uh, industrialists because when they were working, they were talking about building up a community and looking after the families of the employees and really helping them grow as individuals. And we know the Tatars have expanded tremendously. They are there in almost every sector at this moment of time. And yet we know a lot of their profits goes into non-profit as well, right? So, But they have a legacy. They have impacted the lives of millions of people right now in India and around the world. They're getting jobs. So they're having an impact as well. But the leaders there come from an ethos and a value system which talks about really working with all stakeholders and getting the profit but doing it with purpose. And when you start working from that what we call what I mentioned, the abundance space, is then you start becoming that visionary, which is why the Tatars are known as visionaries. And so that's the slight difference that I would like to say about what's the impact of the organization in the long term, which is unfortunately not what we do at this moment of time. But what's the legacy that's going to be be 50 years down the line is the question. And, and so for me, that's an easy thing that I can pick up, which is, I think, an extravagant extreme but it brings to play the opportunity that companies like the ones that you mentioned have a chance to build on. And hopefully, I'm hopeful that they're going to turn around and do something which is really going to truly not just do lip service, but truly help the communities that they're operating in. Then there's going to be magic because then it'd be like, wow, they're successful in the short run and they're creating a legacy that's going to change the future. It might just well happen. 
who knows? It's it's really interesting you talk about that the idea of legacy. I mean, I, I think about your know, companies that I would say have a great legacy. You know, in in, in my own experience here in the UK, um, you know, people like Unilever, for example. You know, they build a fantastic village of Port Sunlight, and they're you know, famed for giving their you know, all their employees kind of your houses and places to live and your know, good education opportunities and all of those sorts of things. Uh, an organisation I've worked for, Boots, you know, has a fantastic legacy um, in Nottingham, where they've you know, really been known for investing back in their people, taking care of people through things like the Boots Benevolent Fund, for example, and things that, you know, have really kind of, you know, shown a, a real caring passion for, for for the people that are working with them and helping to, to drive that forward. You know, that that's, that's definitely a sense of purpose, right? You know, it, it's organisations that have recognised that, yes, we're here to, to make money and to, to drive outcome, but actually we're here for a, for a greater purpose. Now, Apple, um, you know, um, definitely have a purpose. Facebook definitely have a purpose. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg talks all the time about you know, making the world more better and connected. But we haven't yet really established that some of these digital companies, um, that the purpose really kind of endures. You know, how do we know at this point that we actually want to be, you know, more connected digitally? You know, we, that's something which you know, I think mm. we'll find out in another you know, 20, 30, 40 years' time you know, as to whether or not that legacy does actually endure as to something that, that ultimately was good for good for humanity. Um, but I guess that's the same with all digital companies, right? Because you know, these organisations are, are effectively brand new. Um, you know, they've, they've stood up you know, over the last you know, maybe 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and that's, that's really a, a very small snapshot in time compared to to a lot of other organizations that have literally been around for centuries absolutely you know what's coming up to my mind is and i and forgive me i can't remember i want to say this happens in africa or uh, i can't remember which country but it's a great principle so the leaders uh, when they come around to make a decision what they do is and in fact i put a LinkedIn post because I thought maybe that's what board members need to do, is that when they're taking a strategic decision about the direction or where the company is going to do, they ask themselves this question about what is it that people are going to say seven generations down the line about the decision that we have taken at this moment of time. That's futuristic thinking. I'm not too sure some of the companies we talked about right now are having that kind of a long-term view. Because when they do... It, a lot of decisions that are being taken by a lot of companies right now might be different, is my submission. Because we are still very short-term and uh, have amazing slogans, which sound really good on, uh, on, the, on a marketing sheet, perhaps. But if they would only go beneath the surface and make it happen in the true sense, I think we have a chance of changing the world we live in. And this is part of that problem because you're right at the highest level of a lot of organisations today. We actually have a very, very short-term outlook. You, know, you think about you know, maybe a CEO who's joining, joining a company. You know, realistically, you know, that CEO might be with that organisation typically for maybe five, maybe seven, maybe ten years. Um, yeah. And that, that's their horizon that they're actually working with. Now, during that, that, you know, that horizon there's certain outcomes they want to achieve. So maybe they're looking to um, you know, build the company to a point where we sell it and get some sort of exit, or maybe we you know, grow profit by X percent or whatever that might be. But we're, we're looking you know, very, very short term, whereas a lot of the, the, the founders that we talked about earlier, those are your founders that have come from you know, maybe the early 1900s or beyond, you know, with, you know, people like Unilever and, and, and Boots, you know, they, they were starting organisations that they wanted to endure. And they had that 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 higher sense of what we were actually trying to achieve. Um, how do we how do we get leaders at, at the higher echelons of organisations to to think 
longer than their their short term of influence? Uh, I mean, there are many ways for people to do that, but it comes back to the point I was talking about intentionality. It comes back to the point about abundance. It comes back to people understanding what their in, what their individual purpose and legacy is. Uh, often, I think so when I'm working with individuals, and they might hold a leadership role title, or they might be holding not holding a leadership title at this moment of time. But when we delve into understanding what their personal purpose is, what's the legacy they want to create, irrespective which organization they're working in, when they get that anchor right and they have that clarity, then automatically the decisions that they start taking, and this is what I've seen, is when they start taking decisions, it's far more coming from a space of abundance. And they're thinking about what is it that people are going to say after I've finished working? What's my legacy? And is it helping me live my values? There's something that happens internally, Steve, that makes them uh, really think about the long term and to be able to think about solutions that will help them uh, create a powerful legacy for themselves personally. And when they bring that mindset into an organization, then organizations will automatically start thinking that way because your leaders are purpose-driven. Your leaders are defined uh, defining themselves on what kind of a legacy they want to create for themselves. And then they start having conversation about what's the legacy of this organization. So that's one element. The other element is to really have it as part of the structural process. When executive teams and board members are having the conversation, they need to have that kind of a diversity in the boardroom or in the team that can ask those different perspectives and ask those questions and be a devil's advocate and not go in for group think. Because that's the other thing that happens is just because the leader says that everybody thinks that that has to happen. But if there is a process and a structure where people can look at the same problem and solution from different angles and really be a devil's advocate, they might come up with solutions which is going to be far more far reaching. So that's one part of the structure. And the other is, which we're now beginning to see, is ESG targets. Because, you know, one of the reasons why the mindset is the way it is right now is because when we went through business management schools, and I would say perhaps it's changing now, but at least when I went through it in the last few decades, the thing that we were taught about is bottom lines and profits. So we were geared to thinking about only uh, uh, bottom lines and profits, and we were geared to think about shareholder returns. So that's why we, in fact, in one of my first organizations, that was our mission statement, is to maximize the returns to shareholders, which makes it very profit-driven. But now with ESG targets and with something in the UK that we know is the Better Business Act that is trying to come into place, you're talking about what's your responsibility to all stakeholders. What are the ESG targets? So bringing in that structurally into the conversation will also start helping people define that long-term perspective. So I think so. it's a bit of both structure as well bringing about that personal realization about what's their purpose. And that when that starts coming together, then over a period of time, you start creating an environment and a mindset which is thinking more long-term. That's one idea, I think. Uh, I, I'd love to know if you have an idea as well. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you, Ina. And I think that, you know, um, so much of this is actually helping people to understand what their purpose is, right? And, and and why we actually get up in the morning and why we want to go to work and what we want to achieve in the world. And I mean, you are you are first and foremost a, a coach. Um, you know, and I don't mind admitting that, you know, uh, since um, I joined my new organization, Helion, I've been really fortunate, actually, to, to have the opportunity to work with an executive coach. Um 
and and that's really kind of you know changed um you know changed my kind of you know perspective on some of this stuff because you know throughout all of my career I've always kind of you know, identified mentors and people I kind of want to work with, but this is the first time that I've actually worked with somebody in a really targeted way, um you know to look at my own behaviours, my own learning, my own purpose, you know, and and, and actually start to to consider you know why I do what I do and what I'm trying to achieve, um. A lot of people might actually know what a coach does, or you know what the purpose of a coach is. I mean, from your point of view, um, you know, why, why should leaders have a coach? Um, I think uh, perhaps, firstly, congratulations for working with a coach. I think so. That's that's a very clever decision, and I'll, I'll kind of illustrate in a bit why. Um, I think the simplest way to explain why somebody might need a coach or what a coach does is to explain it from the world of sports. Now we all know and um, perhaps accept the fact as well that the sports champions in the world they all have coaches and why is it that they have coaches they have coaches because they want to become champions and coaches help them hone their natural abilities they help them minimize their weaknesses they help them create a winning mindset so that they really become winners not just in the sports arena but most of the champions are role models in life per se right so that's what a sports person does while with working with a church uh, with sorry with a coach now it might be almost gospel but it isn't necessarily now when i work with people or when coaches work with people what they're doing is that they're helping them become champions in the world of business so i work with established leaders who could be directors they could be ceos they could be founders they could be board members i am not an engineer i'm not a technician i'm not a finance person or a marketing guru that my clients are already quite adept at but what we are doing or what i am doing is empowering them to redefine their current levels of excellence and be a transformational leader so i am helping them become the better version of them and you know it's you made a quotation earlier and one of the quotes that i quite love is and which is pertinent to why we need coaches right now is einstein einstein made the statement right the problems we face today cannot be resolved uh, at the same level Uh, same level of thinking that we were when we created them right so we know that there's an urgent call for solutions that are radical at this moment of time which can get companies growth and profit so that's the environment and context so we need visionaries so we need these leaders to be champions at this moment of time and when they start doing it they're raising their capabilities capacities all of the stuff we, they start talking about and they become better so for me the coach and the client it's like a collaboration the coach and indeed in my case i'm the expert in the process i know which techniques to pull out that will best suit the acceleration of the person but what the client is an expert is in themselves so when that collaboration starts working then it's almost a sure shot it's not a question of if it's a question of when the person will become a super athlete or a champion in the world of business so that's that's what happens when somebody is working with a coach person and honestly i think uh, congratulations to you once again that you have a coach because i think every smart leader today will choose to have a coach just for the reasons that i've kind of just shared at this moment of time but uh, uh, and one of the simplest reasons why they want to do it is because they want to and you probably are ambitious enough to want to achieve your dreams and aspirations whether it's personal or professional in the yes next year or two rather than in the next 10 years so coaches help people get to where they want to get to 
quicker, faster, and with less stress. Life and wisdom will teach us any which way, but we want to get there faster and we need to do it in a way that we really enjoy the journey. But what Steve was even more critical in my view is the two follow-up questions that happen is how to work with the coach and what strategy to adopt. And let me just give me a minute to illustrate what I mean by that. Because I think coaching it can be a game-changing tool for organization leaders. One is when people are choosing who to work with, I think leaders should choose a variety of coaches to work with. And maybe not at the same time, but maybe in succession. Because then they are owning their personal growth journey and they're bringing in diversity of perspectives, insights, whatever it might be. So that, in that sense, the client should really kind of invite the right kind of coaches to their party. So, for example, when I work with leaders, what I'm bringing in is applied neuroscience, Ayurvedic techniques, leadership frameworks, so they can redefine leadership excellence. Some other coach might bring something else. So it's really for them to be able to pull in the people at the right time. So I don't believe that a person should be working with one coach for a long time, which brings me to that second question is what's the strategy, which is a coach should not be, uh, uh, my humble opinion is that leaders should not be having a coach for a lifetime or a very long period of time. I think it creates a dependency factor. Coaches are not gurus for a lifetime. They're professionals who are trained to facilitate two things, self-awareness and deployment of techniques that accelerate growth. So when I'm, for example, working with clients, I don't work with them for beyond a year. Because after that, I truly believe, A, they should have learned enough to start doing self-coaching and then putting learning into practice and becoming independent. And then after a period of time, maybe thinking of coming back and working with me or with someone else. So when I often hear about somebody who's been working with a coach for, coach for years, I'm like, ooh, there's a problem. So I think, yes, to answer your question, it's a great combination to get a coach to work with the leader to help them accelerate, but bring, work with different coaches and choose the strategy so that you can work with them for snapshots, which boosts you up, takes you to the next level, find another person who then takes you to a higher level. So you mentioned um, earlier on in that answer, you were talking about the fact that we need visionaries. And I get the fact that your coach can help people to kind of, you know, to, to learn how to, to be the visionary, to, to be the leader, to, you know, just behaviors and all of those things. But does, does everybody have the capacity to be a visionary? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, the short answer is that. And uh, the long answer is that a lot of uh, a lot of things that are coming out now in the world of neuroscience, um, even if you were to tap into the work, uh, which is the ancient wisdom that I use from Ayurveda, all of that is showing that everyone has the capacity to be a visionary. Uh, all they need to do is be intentional and be able to sharpen it. And the techniques that we use helps them get to that space. So probably that's an easiest answer without me uh, taking the next one out to explain it out. But I'd be happy to talk about any of those techniques if you want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, I mean, you've talked a lot about your science-based approach, right? I mean, actually, you've, you've mentioned a couple of those techniques. I mean, how, how, how does that help to to make people really believe that they can be that visionary that we're talking about? Uh, let me just, uh, uh, because I did kind of think about this uh, question, and I know that we were going to go into it. In fact, I've just completed a very interesting course with MIT Sloan on neuroscience for business. And uh, that's one area that I use quite actively, and I enjoy it, and I'm absolutely passionate about. And neuroscience, as we know, is really the understanding how the brain works. 
and you know when you know understand how it works you can power it up it's like it's like an operating system of a computer if you know how it works you know how to power it up or cars machinery i mean we're talking about an engineering uh, podcast right now so you know it when you know the code you know how to make the code you know how to break the code right so neuroscience is giving us some really interesting insights of how one can power up and become a visionary so there are a few techniques that are there let me just illustrate a few of them uh just to give you a flavor of it so one is uh one of the things that leaders need to do is to problem solve and make better decisions so we know at this moment of time with neuroscience that we each one of us have cognitive diversity however we don't necessarily tap into it because we all have a preferred style of thinking at this moment of time but when you become aware that everyone has the ability at this one this is proven by neuroscience now everyone has the ability to be creative and innovation innovative but it's just that we might not be tapping into it which is why sometimes we are drawn towards some people of saying oh that person is very creative and let's make the person a creative director or an innovation specialist that's just because it's their preferred style everyone can be creative and innovative but you just need to know how to tap into it and you need to know to know how to train your brain to be able to use that part which is not been used so using your own cognitive diversity and that of others can help organizations and individuals and team solve problems in a far better way mitigate risk in a far better way come up with bolder decisions and be more creative so that's one technique is how do you become more aware and use your cognitive diversity and that of others the second is that we kind of another uh, technique that we are picking up from the world of neuroscience is neuroplasticity which is this whole ability of the brain to be able to literally structurally change so that you can think better you can uh, uh, you can do new things uh, you can do things better you can take a particular core expertise you have and apply it in different other places of your job and so therefore you're far better in a wider spectrum of activities you're supposed to do so the whole concept of neuroplasticity can help a leader be more agile be adaptable be resilient and therefore start creating teams and workplaces that can be far more agile and really you know a lot of organizations right now are actually implementing this whole concept of agile as you well know uh, at this moment of time but often the reason why it doesn't succeed is because people are resisting it that's because they're not neuroplastic so to really make an organization neuroplastic leaders need to know the act of how they can be neuroplastic and how they can empower other people to be neuroplastic so that's another technique and when you start becoming more agile and resilient there are more chances of you being able to do things that you can't do at this moment of time which could uh, open doors about you doing uh, visionary uh, stuff the other thing is about intelligence now we all know that we have one uh, uh, that we have a brain between our ears that we use but do we all know that we don't have just one brain so neuroscience is again going on to show that the star of the brain known as the neurons is not just there in the space between our heads but actually it's there in our gut in our brain stem in the spinal cord but we don't tap into it so we are not tapping into all our intelligence we are just tapping into the one between uh, between our ears so when you start tapping into all your intelligences guess what you're going to be making decisions and being able to forecast and look into the future and tap into other intelligence and come up with solutions which are going to be very different to what you're doing at this moment of time so you're working with limited capacity at this moment of time so that's another element that can help uh, a particular individual 
Then there's a concept known as cognitive boosters. If one of the most important things that we're doing at this moment of time is the whole ability to think and be different, we know that from the world of Ayurveda, which uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners knows is the ancient science from uh, India or the Indian subcontinent thousands of years uh, ago. Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word. It's called the science of life. And it had practices such as meditation, yoga, and the food that we eat so that a person can maximize their potential and be truly spiritual leaders at that moment of time. And spiritual doesn't mean religious. It really talks about people being visionaries. Now, again, neuroscience is proven time and again, and there's far too much research available, and we can't ignore it, that you can operate at optimum capacity when you bring some of these techniques into your life. Because let's face it, leaders today are not running a 100-meter race. They're running a marathon. And visionaries, if they're going to think about long term, need to be able to operate at optimum capacity. So there's cognitive boosters that uh, a person can really intentionally do so that they're operating at a different level. Then there's this whole thing that I talked about, which is the anabolic and catabolic energy, which is what we call the neurobiology. It's to really trigger that what is creating the production of chemicals inside us because we want to operate in the anabolic space because when we do, what happens? We are collaborative. We are women leaders. We are not trying to control and we are not power hungry or in denial, but we are visionaries and we are operating from a space of abundance. So we're truly being transformative. So, so that's another technique. So there are various, these techniques really help a person. And I'm excited about the leaders I work with because it helps them stretch. They're already high performers, but this makes them operate at a very, very different level uh, when they're tapping into all of the stuff that they have. So, sorry, I'm so passionate about the subject. I could go on, but I should shut up now. Really, you can absolutely hear your passion. It's really great, to, great, great to hear. Um, so much of what you're talking about there is about self-awareness and a high degree of emotional intelligence. What do you really think it means for a leader to be self-aware? Uh, and I know that I have to say that I've, you know, our interactions have shown that you have a great degree of self-awareness and that's so refreshing. Uh, uh, and self-awareness is a very big subject, but let me try to answer it in maybe three or four ways just to kind of bring it to life a little bit more because we all know what self-awareness is. But uh, uh, one is, I think, so the invitation for each one of us, not just leaders, each one of us is to be aware of our blind spots. We all know that we have blind spots. Uh, so one simple example, and you know that I use a, a strengths finder a lot uh, or, or the concept of strengths a lot in the coaching that I do. Uh, each of us have got natural strengths. We know that, but some of them can become our weakness. And uh, it can stop us from becoming great leaders. Uh, we can almost become an eyesore for other people. And we think we are operating in our natural strengths and everybody should love us about it. So it's a blind spot. And there are many such blind spots that all of us have. And why do we have it? Because uh, that's how the brain works. Uh, the brain is an energy-hungry organ, we know. And therefore, it uh, glazes over certain things because it just presumes that we're doing things in the right way. So be aware of your blind spots is one aspect of self-awareness because it helps you operate better. You're doing more of who you are with skill and mastery, as I mentioned earlier. The second thing is there are some things that we're not aware of. So on the same subject of strengths, uh, all of us took decisions in our life, whether it was career choices or life decisions, and we're playing to certain what we call the realized strengths. But each one of us have something known as unrealized strengths things that we are naturally good at, but which never got a spotlight. Uh, 
We never got a chance to really practice on them. And I think when we're talking about leaders really operating at a high level, that is the source of highest potential. What are your unrealized strengths? And can you bring it into the arena? Because when you do, you suddenly have almost on your chessboard, you have all the pieces out there and you can play your game, your A game, so to speak. So that's the other aspect of self-awareness. What don't you know about yourself? There's another aspect about cognitive bias. And I'm sure a lot of your speakers, sorry, a lot of your listeners and perhaps your previous speakers as well might have uh, talked about a gentleman, uh, Daniel Kahneman. Sorry, I I keep pronouncing his name incorrectly. But he's the person who won the Nobel uh, Prize in 2002 to bring in applied neuroscience in uh, behavioral economics and how people make decisions. And he talks about system one and system two thinking. Uh, And he talks about these cognitive biases that exist in all human beings, that we are not aware of it. And he calls it heuristics, which makes us jump and take decisions which we think are right, but might not be the case. And so you really have to be aware of these cognitive biases, not just make better decisions, but be aware of cognitive biases when you're talking about being more inclusive. That's another thing that we talk about a lot right now, becoming inclusive leaders. So being aware of that aspect so that you can navigate it because you can't fight it. That's how the brain works. But if you're aware of it, you know how to navigate it. So you can be more inclusive. So that could be another area of self-awareness. Be aware of stress triggers. We are all living in a world which is often being called a VUCA world. We are being hit by stress triggers many, many, many times a day, which means that part of the brain which is getting alerted time and again is what we call the limbic system. 90% of what you and I do is subconscious. So I'd love people to be aware about what are the interpretations and assumptions that are holding them back? What are the current decisions that they are making, which is subconscious, which is holding them back? So when you start unpacking some of these areas, then self-awareness goes up 10 million degrees. What is it that you're doing at this moment of time that makes you already have those moments of amazing brilliance? Are you really aware of it? Could you do more of that? So again, comes back to that point of intentionality. So when you're self-aware, then you can be a far more intentional transformational leader. So just some ideas about self-awareness just to dig deeper into it, Steve. And I guess over the last you know, 100 years, the industrial age, you know, we've all been encouraged to separate our work and life, you know, to have a good work-life balance and to, you know, to keep the two things very distinctly separate. But actually, a lot of what you're talking about is actually bringing your whole self to work and actually you're using your whole self to your, your great collective advantage. Yeah, so true. I, I and you know when you say that, what's what I'm and I have been guilty of this because when I started off my career in '93. I still remember in the first 10 years of the work that I did, the statement that used to often be made to individuals is, you know, when you enter the workplace, leave your personal life behind. You know, that's a different space and this is a different space. So you are a professional at this moment of time. It doesn't really matter. You know, that's the kind of statement we used to make because we didn't know what we know now. And now we know that the the line, the boundary between home life and professional life has got massively blurred. And in the last two years with the remote working taking place, and now a lot of people realizing that hybrid working is the way that we're going to be working, it's blurred even more, which means you can't have people having different hats on. 
So they have to be, there has to be far more seamless integration between who an individual is. And the reason why you want to do that also is that if a person is different in the workplace and is different in the home life, and either of them could be better than the other, not necessarily being a judge here, but if there is a difference, there is something that happens in the brain called cognitive dissonance. And when cognitive dissonance takes place, the brain tries to sort it out which means it's taking power away from the other things that you can do because it's trying to sort it out and balance this out about being different there and being different in the home life. So hence, we say actually to remove that energy sapper, start becoming authentic and who you are in the workplace as well in the personal life, because at least that distraction is out of your head. And that's becoming fundamentally more important right now because we see that the working landscape is changing uh, and, and boundaries are changing. So you're right. Absolutely. Historically, it was true that we had to separate it. Historically, we probably could afford it as well because it was a very different world that we lived in. But in today's day and age, you can't, uh, not just because of the pandemic, because we also know futuristically uh, uh, people can work anywhere, anytime, any country, multiple organizations. So what would really help the individual is to be very, very authentic and that will become an essential skill. Rina, it's, it's absolutely fascinating to hear you talk. I mean, you've got so much insight that I think people can learn from. And, and actually, you've written some of this down. You've actually written a book, right? I have, yes. I wrote a book. Uh, can I say uh, something You can, by all means. Tell, tell people what oh, it is. Okay. So I wrote a book in 2017. was my first version, and then I finessed it in 2019. Um, and... Uh, what I was trying to do at that moment of time and writing the book is create more mind space because I will tell everyone has a book in them and Steve, you should write a book as well. And when you write a book, a wonderful happen, things happen in your brain is you get mind space to do other things. So, the, but when I wrote down that book, what I was trying to do is really reflect on what I had learned from a lot of leaders that had worked before that. And uh, I knew what leaders would love is to get a formula of how they could drive. In 2017, the biggest noise that was there was digital transformation. And so I, I just had that sense, intuitive sense that we were going to step into a world which is going to be very unpredictable and God, how unpredictable are we at this moment of time? So I was keen to offer a formula so that it would be ready for unpredictable world, uh, 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 an unpredictable world, or uh, what many call the VUCA world, right? Um, what I also knew at that moment of time is that leaders are very busy and there's a lot of good advice out there. So I guess I did a lot of research and uh, I spoke with experts. In fact, my book has interviews and wisdom of more than 20 experts straight into the book as well. And together what we did was we carved out nine levers that leaders could self-assess, strengthen, to be able to what I call master the science and art of leading in an unpredictable world. And I, I must say I was very ruthless in my approach because I was following the Pareto principle, which is what is the 20% that leaders must get right so that they can get 80% returns in their own journey to grow themselves as leaders. And uh, so it's a self-coaching book. And it's called The Brilliance Quotient. And uh, it gives people a taste of some of the work that I and my team are very, very passionate about. Thank you for asking. And if people want to buy the book, they can get on Amazon, presumably? Oh, well, actually, it's only available via my website, which is renadeal.com. Amazing. Um, 
And if folks want to get in touch with you, you know, what's the best way to get in touch to talk about all the things you've been talking about? Oh, thank you. Well, one is through you. If they know you, and I'm, I'm sure you'll be happy to make a connection to me. Uh, otherwise, uh, good old LinkedIn. I'm, uh, I'm there on LinkedIn, or they can drop me a line uh, at hello at renadale.com. Fabulous. Well, Rena, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I think you've got so much insight um, into leadership, which is so highly relevant to everything that we're doing in the engineering space. Um, so thank you for taking some time out uh, to come and talk to me this morning. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And you know what? I can't wait to have more conversations with you um, and see what else I can learn about the science-based approach that you take. Thank you so much for joining The Engineering Leader. Engineers have so much to learn from Marina. It also reminds me that it's so easy for us to operate in an insular fashion and that as a community we must look outside of our immediate field of expertise in order to achieve our true potential. Thank you for listening to The Engineering Leader. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please do reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Just search for at Steve Westgarth. In the meantime, remember, we all write bad code. If you disagree, you may as well switch off. My name is Steve Westgarth, and you've been listening to The Engineering Leader.